Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. Do you find yourself second-guessing the decisions you make when it comes to investments? Well, you're not alone. Today we have joining us is Doug Lenick, CEO and founder of think to perform who's going to share with us how to make smarter decisions about our money. Welcome, Doug. Thanks, Jim. We're happy to be here. Hey, with all the market volatility that we've experienced, especially, it seems like it's more volatile now than ever. We really appreciate you joining us and sharing your wisdom with us to give our listeners a little bit of insight on when they're making, hopefully, smart money decisions. You and your company developed a concept called Behavioral Advice Services. What is it? Why did you develop it? And how does it ultimately help the consumer? I'm going to start with why we developed it, and that'll link to how it helps the consumer, and then I'll kind of cover the what. But the why, it's been interesting to me as I've experienced the investment world over the last four decades. little background, I'm 60 years old now, and I actually started in the financial services industry when I was 21. So I'm 39 years in, and I've seen a lot happen. What's been interesting to me over these last four decades is I've looked at the data. I see data all the time from a variety of sources, but data basically say that investments work, investors don't. So I really was wondering, is there a way that we can close that gap? And so I started to ask myself a couple of questions. One is, why do people do what they do with their money? And two, is it possible that one could really be a better decision maker with and about money. Now, the answer to the second question is yes. The answer to the first question is a little bit more problematic. In order to answer it, what we've done, and this gets into what we do, what we've done is we've integrated some different concepts into something that we believe and have seen evidence for is what I call profoundly simple. So we integrate traditional financial modeling with behavioral finance and with neuroscience. And quite truthfully, part of why people do less well as investors than their investments do is related to the neuroscience. And neuroscience is kind of the study of the brain and how the brain itself is wired. And then behavioral finance deals with the psychology of money. And part of why investments work better than investors is the brain is wired to avoid danger. It's wired to pursue opportunities. And the wiring happens to be triggered by emotions as stimulated by some outside event. So when things like the financial crisis happened back five years ago, it, of course, scared people. The markets came tumbling down. And what we saw happen is many investors were bailing out of their equity investments, their equity mutual funds and their stocks. They were running towards what they thought would be a safer alternative. And so people were getting into fixed income instruments of various kinds. But of course, what happened is they did that in mass at a time the market had moved from 14,000 down to 6,500. And of course, what they ended up doing was guaranteeing themselves some losses. The market's now back. We've seen the market now. It's pushing its all-time highs again. Here we sit. 
and now I'm reading in various papers, I'm sure all of your listeners are seeing the same thing, the regular investor, the retail investor, normal people like ourselves, we're now all of a sudden thinking, okay, maybe it's okay to get back in the market. Well, we got out at 6,500 or 7,000 or 8,000. We want to get back in at 14,000. The reason we did this is we thought, hey, there's got to be a better way to help people understand and then what to do about it. So that's kind of why we did it. And then what we've done is integrate those disciplines. And maybe that stimulates a follow-up question that I could go deeper on. Well, Doug, I guess the next question is, because you mentioned, yeah, here we are kind of rebounding in the markets. There's still a lot of cash on the sidelines. And as we have advised clients each day, and we talk to those who kind of got out back in the bottom of 2009 because they couldn't take that emotional cycle, and then they saw a rebound that nobody predicted or projected, almost a recovery into 11, or it was like spring of 11, and then things kind of pulled back again. You see these folks just go through this vicious cycle of, now that I got out and I missed the run-up, I've got to wait for the next decline. And what advice, counsel, can you give to those people? I mean, in our business, we know there are strategies, dollar cost averaging and systematic withdrawals and rebalancing and all those techniques to try and mellow those things out. But how can you kind of talk those folks off the ledge at this point? By the way, I would say this, all of those strategies work. So rebalancing, dollar cost averaging, and so forth, those actually work. And one of the things that we developed, and this gets into the what of it all, is this concept under the umbrella of the smart money philosophy. Essentially, the smart money philosophy is designed to help people make decisions that allow them to know with confidence whenever they need money, there will be a smart place to get it. So the smart money philosophy is different than trying to guess what's going to happen and put all of your money in the smartest possible place to take full advantage of what's going to happen. And it's designed to face the truth, and the truth is uncertainty. And I would say, as we speak and as our listeners hear what we're talking about, I think anybody thinking going forward about what's going to happen would have to admit to themselves, you know, I really don't know what's going to happen. And I think the advantage to people who embrace something like the smart money philosophy is they can position themselves such that they can know with confidence, whenever I need money, for whatever reason, there will be a smart place to get it. And concepts like dollar cost averaging and rebalancing and so forth will all help them with that. But the concept is basically this. One, I don't know how long I'm going to live. And living a really long time has financial implications, and so does dying earlier than one's life expectancy. Both of those have financial implications. In fact, dying happens to be a financial event, regardless of when it happens. If we're really elderly or if we're very young, or anywhere on the continuum. Can I get ready for the financial implications of death? And can I position myself so that my family will be okay if I die? And the answer to that question is yes. And then also, it is true that while I'm alive, my health status is uncertain. So you, Jim, probably know this better than me, but I think some statistic like if there's a married couple today, one out of two of them, the odds are, in fact, I think it's like 70%, the odds are at least one out of the two is going to need some kind of care 
after what we would call their retirement period. So they might need some assisted living support. They might need nursing care support. And then, of course, even while we're in our working years, we could get sick or hurt. We could get injured. We could end up hospitalized. We could end up disabled. And our health status has financial implications. So if we're lucky, we get to live a really long time, never have to see the doctor, never need any medical care. And then sometime after age 100, we go to sleep one night and then we wake up in the next life. That's the lucky few. The truth is, is that for the majority of people, something happens before death and we don't necessarily get that. And then finally, we get to be dealing with the reality that the markets are going to go up and down. The economy is going to be good or bad. And so can investors get prepared for all of those uncertainties? The answer is yes. And when they do that, then what happens is their own level of stress goes down, their own confidence facing the future goes up, and their happiness quotient goes up with it. Every one of us wants to feel comfortable and confident and happy with where we are in life. And if we can reduce some of the financial pressures that people feel because of uncertainty, that really helps us with our happiness quotient. That's excellent. I appreciate that. Doug, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit about the resources that you can make available to the consumer. That would be your website and your book. So please stay tuned. And now a personal story from the 2010 Life Foundation Spokesperson for Life Insurance Awareness Month, actress Leslie Bibb, whose recent credits include roles in Iron Man 2, Confessions of a Shopaholic, and Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Leslie was just three years old when her dad died. At that time, Leslie had no idea what life insurance was and how it benefited her mother. Today, Leslie realizes the enormous impact it had on her life. Let's hear her story. Hi, I'm Leslie Bibb. Photos are my memories. My parents together dancing to their favorite song and celebrating with friends. Young and in love, they never suspected that their lives together would be cut short. Everything changed when my mother received the awful call that there had been an accident and my father hadn't survived. All of a sudden, the task of raising four girls and keeping our family together fell on her shoulders. But my mom's burden was lessened by my dad's thoughtfulness. His life insurance policy enabled our family to pick up and carry on. The love we show while we are alive is why we live. The love we show after we are gone allows life to continue on. My dad loved us enough to expect the unexpected. Life insurance was his legacy of love to us. No one should be left grieving and in need. Take care of your loved ones by thinking ahead to the unthinkable. Learn more at lifehappens.org, a public service message from the Nonprofit Life Foundation. Welcome back as we continue our conversation today with Doug Lenick, who's the CEO and co-founder of Think to Perform, formerly known as Lenick Aberman Group. And you're also an author, Doug. You did a book for the consumer called Financial Intelligence, how to make smart values-based decisions with your money and your life. Tell us a little bit about what the consumer can expect from that book. Well, amongst other things, and thank you for mentioning my book, a little shameless self-promotion I'll throw out here, but the book was written for the consumer, and it's written for the consumer because I really want to help people realize they can improve their financial intelligence and their financial behavior. What the reader can expect when reading the book is we really talk about one principle, 
which is the principle of responsibility. I make the case, and of course, because I speak about personal responsibility, I'm not really able to be a candidate for elected office. So I can't run for office when I speak about personal responsibility, but I can write a book that says, if the investor, if the consumer, if the reader accepts, I am responsible for the choices that I make, they have a tremendous advantage as it relates to developing their own financial intelligence. So it's one principle, and it's two rules. Rule one is always prepare yourself for the certainty of uncertainty. Always get ready for the truth. And the truth is uncertainty, and I can get ready. And then rule two is always make my financial decisions after first reflecting on my personal values. What research shows, which is really exciting for all of us, is when one reflects on their values, it engages the cognitive brain, the prefrontal cortex. It won't actually make anyone smarter, but it will improve access to how smart they are. So one of the things I frequently say is irrational decision-making trumps high IQ every time. So this isn't about how smart we are. It's about how able we are to access how smart we are in the presence of competing and difficult to deal with emotions. And we know that the process of reflecting on values, whatever they happen to be, mine happen to be family, happiness, wisdom, integrity, service, and health, and any reader, we actually have a values exercise in the book. Anybody can get in touch with their values. And even when one thinks that my values don't have much to do with this decision, the very process of forcing oneself to reflect on their values engages the cognitive brain calms the emotional center, and increases the probability of making a rational decision. Now, I should mention that rational decisions, on average, over time, will do better than irrational decisions. But that doesn't mean rational decisions always work, nor does it mean that irrational decisions never do work. So sometimes we do something irrational and it works, and that makes us think, we're smarter than we thought we were. And it confirms our bias that, you know, I kind of knew that would happen. And we say something like that. So it's one principle, it's two rules, it's four skills. We call them the four R's, recognize, reflect, reframe, respond. Each of those R's has its own chapter. And then there's even a chapter in the book called Calling in the Experts. So bringing in somebody, Jim, like yourself, who actually has a CFP, who understands what's going on, who realizes that emotions can frequently stimulate people to make poor decisions with their money, and helping pick the right kind of advisor. And we literally give the reader 10 questions to ask candidates to be their financial advisor based on research. And the research was asking the question, what are the competencies of an advisor that result in a superior portfolio return for the client. And it was the only study of its kind done. It was done by the Consortium for Research on Emotional Intelligence in Organizations, which is a very long name, but it's largely a bunch of academics. And there are a few of us, myself included, my company, that are practitioners, and we're interested in practical application of research. 
So that was a very interesting question. And the interesting answer, by the way, is it turns out the competency that matters more to the investor that they need their advisor to have more than anything else by a factor of two to one is integrity. And you might think, well, how come how smart they are doesn't matter more? And how come how good they are at stuff and technically gifted they are doesn't matter more? And the answer is maybe obvious, and that is there are smart, technically competent, dishonest people out there. And if you look at the most iconic name in dishonesty in financial services is Bernie Madoff. He was trusted, but he wasn't trustworthy. And the operative word is trustworthy. Someone with integrity who will stand up to the investor and be willing to lose the client rather than let the client do something stupid in the presence of emotions. It's that level of integrity. And then client service orientation, concern for order and quality, teamwork, self-confidence. These are the competencies that matter most. And I've developed and we've developed, and it's in the book, 10 questions that the reader can ask of their advisor candidate. Because listeners, you should think of yourselves as the CEO of your financial affairs, and you should think of a potential financial advisor as a candidate to be your CFO. And what you want to be sure they have, of course, is they got to be smart enough to be real. They've got to be technically competent enough to be able to execute well, but they have to have the integrity necessary to do it all with the right intentions, to stand up for what's right, tell the truth, keep promises, and so forth. So that's what the reader can expect. So thank you for mentioning the book. Yeah, and that they can get on your website or at Amazon.com, you mentioned to us off air. So what is your website again? If listeners want to go to the website, we just literally launched the new one just last month. So just in January 2013 is Think to Perform. It's the number two. So it's all one word, think2perform.com. When you get to Think to Perform, you can kind of see a little bit about what we do as a firm. I will say this since I'm down the path. Our vision as a firm is to enhance the world through improving the decision-making and performance of the organizations and people we touch. Our mission is to make a positive difference every day, and our own corporate values are people, integrity, growth, and excellence. And because of our vision, mission, and values, we focus our attention in areas where we can enhance the world. Wealth care is one place. Health care is another place. Education is a third place, and nonprofit is a fourth. We do some work outside of those disciplines, including work in the sports world, but our primary focus is in those four areas. Well, that's just awesome. You know, as you were talking, I think to myself, one of the common statements I'm making to clients on a regular basis is, I'm unemotional about your money. I'm here to help you make smart choices where people allow those emotions to drive them. It makes me think back. I remember Warren Buffett when the tech bubble hit. He was one of the few people that had nothing in tech because he didn't understand it. And between him and I remember the Templeton group, John Templeton, they didn't get emotional about what was going on because everybody was buying these tech companies. And the big comment then was, what's the burn rate? The burn rate was how quickly they were using up their cash and would they survive long enough before their idea would take off. So you look at the sages in the business, 
they're completely unemotional about what they're doing. And I think back to Peter Lynch with Fidelity Magellan. I've heard him quoted as saying the reason he stepped down is the average investor was only making a fraction of what the total returns were because they were buying high and selling low and allowing those emotions of fear and greed to help propel people into making irrational decisions. So a financial advisor, when you look at the global universe of investments that are out there, is not so much an advisor as they are a counselor and someone that helps keeping people on an even keel. Would you agree with that? 100%. In fact, you said so many things in there, Jim, that were exceptionally insightful. And even if you look at Magellan and Peter Lynch, and it was disappointing for Lynch to realize that the investment itself, the fund itself, was working really well, but the investors in the fund were not. And I'll soon have the new 20-year study, but there's an industry watchdog out there, an organization called Dalbar, and for people who are wondering how that's spelled, it's D-A-L-B-A-R. They put out a report every year, which I pay for and subscribe to. It's called the Quantitative Analysis of Investor Behavior. And if you look at the 20-year return of the S&P 500, and I don't have the numbers through 2012 yet. I will have them probably within a month or two months. But through 2011, the 20-year return of the S&P 500 was 7.81%. The 20-year return of the average equity investor was 3.49%. That's a difference of 4.32% per year, which, as you know, is a huge amount of money over time. And then you think, well, maybe the investor was making it up on the bond side of things. Well, the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, 20-year return, also ending December 31, 2011, was 6.5%. And the average fixed income investor only got 0.94%, which is a difference of 5.56%. And that's just 20-year return. If we look at the shorter returns, that's still true. Take a one-year, because people say, well, yeah, 20 years, but blah, blah, blah. What just happened in 2011? Well, in 2011, the S&P went up 2.12%. 2012 is going to be much stronger. But the average equity investor in just 2011 did a negative 5.73%, meaning they underperformed the market by 7.85%. And on the bond side, Barclays Bond Index in 2011 went up 7.84%, but the average fixed income investor only did 1.34, meaning they underperformed the bonds by 6.5%. And they did so because of exactly what you said, Jim. What happens, and you reminded me of when you were talking about the tech game, and many of your listeners probably were paying attention to all of that in the 1990s. I think it was in November of 96 when then Chairman Alan Greenspan uttered the phrase irrational exuberance because it looked like companies no longer needed to make money in order for their stock to go up. And so when people like Buffett were asking, what's the burn rate? These people were burning through capital well before anything ever actually materialized. And of course, that whole bubble burst, I think it was in March of 2000. And then we saw 9-11, and then we saw 2002. And then, of course, we saw the market come racing back up and hit peaks in 2007, crash again in 2008 and continue down and now coming back again. So over time, what happens is the investor will frequently 
be stimulated to make an emotional decision with their money. And so they need someone like yourself who has the integrity to actually step up and talk to them about that and confront it and has the wherewithal to not yourself be affected by those emotions. Because some advisors, by the way, are just as adversely freaked out as their clients. And so getting the right advisor is really critical. And that's, I think, a good place to wrap it up. One thing I just wanted to make a point, when you talk about the 6% difference or 5% difference, if you really put that in percentages, it's kind of eye-opening to see that the average investor only captured maybe 10% of the total return. So it's not a difference necessarily of 5%. It's losing 70, 80, 90% of the returns that were in those indexes because they were getting in and out at the wrong times. So it is key that you work with an advisor. Doug, I really appreciate you spending this time with us. Hopefully your words rang true to some of our listeners that if they're getting ready to make an emotional decision, that they go back to their advisor and not take these knee-jerk reactions based on the news of the day, because let's face it, there's no good news out there. So they help fuel the fire of fear. But we really appreciate you sharing your words of wisdom. And again, if people want to get the book, what's that website again? The website is thinktoperform.com, and they can go on. And my name is Lenick, L-E-N-N-I-C-K, so they can Google me. They can go to amazon.com and find that book or any other book. I would say one other thing, Jim, if I have a moment, and that is, and you mentioned this about fear, if our listeners can simply learn to pay attention to their emotions and understand this is true, if one's emotional state is either high energy negative, using that term, like fear or anger, or high energy positive, like exuberance or excitement, then we need to know that our biology is beginning to work against us. So the odds of making an irrational decision while making the decision with fear or making the decision with exuberance, the odds of being irrational goes up. And that's why this whole thing, you know, Herr Sheffern wrote the book, Beyond Greed and Fear. That's why fear and greed work against us. But it's biological. And if we understand that, we can do something about it. Well, thanks, Doug. We really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week. And tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your Real Wealth Advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, Thank just you click so the forward to a friend to this button. week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful week.